Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church. Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. So let me ask you a question. What kind of a person are you? Tough question, huh? Because there are, uh, there, there's two kinds of answers. There's the aspirational answer, which means it's what we want to be. And then it's the reality answer of who we really are, right? What kind of person are you? Well, let me tell you what I mean by that. I think that there are basically three kinds of people. So when you walk into a room, there's three kinds of people. There's the kind of person that when you walk into the room, the room goes, ah, right? That, that you don't bring any life at all. You suck the life out of the room. Person who's negative, person who's uh, uh, all about themselves. They got to be the center of attention. And, and sometimes even that is... Um, uh, uh, it's kind of subversive. Like we will, we will make it so it seems like we don't, we're not in that place, but we actually are, right? So, are, are you the kind of person that that takes life out of the room, or the second kind of person, a person that's good to be around, it's fun, it's nice, and people don't mind it at all, but they don't necessarily seek you out. They're just, you know, if you're there, you're there. If you're not, you're not. It's a pleasant experience either way. Well, the third kind is when you walk into the room the temperature of the room shifts. And people, people gravitate to you because you are a life-giving person. I really think that there are three kinds of people. That's it. I think it's that simple. Now, the reason I ask you that is because of this. Because all of us have to choose who we're going to be, and we have to model ourselves after someone. I mean, we all have heroes, right? So... If you're a follower of Jesus, then your model for who you're to be is Jesus. So Jesus is the example. And what kind of person was Jesus? He was a life-giving person to everyone that was in front of him. Everyone. Let me, let's test this, okay? The scripture says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have Life. This is a common theme. Yes, and have it most abundantly. This is a common theme all throughout Scripture, actually, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You have the, the, the contrast between darkness and light. You have the contrast between death and life. And so Jesus is fulfilling the purposes of God as God in the flesh by being a life giver. Now, Again, if you'll kind of go back and recognize that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, right? So all that being said, the question again is, who are you? What kind of a person are you? Are you a life sucker? Are you a nice person to be around? Or are you a life giver? 
You know, I've made a shift in my life here recently that I am intentionally trying to be a life giver in every area of my life, with every relationship of my life. And I have to tell you, it's not easy always to do it, but it's a whole lot more fun. It really does cause you to be able to go to bed at night saying, you know what, today was a good day. Now, again, this is something that is not automatic. You have to be intentional about being a life giver or you will revert back to your normal state as a human being, which is selfish by nature. We by nature are selfish. We are not by nature givers. We are by nature's takers. That's just the way we are. That's the sinful nature in us. But Jesus transforms us and he makes us life givers rather than life suckers. And because we're life givers, life is different for us and also for everybody around. Let me, let me, let, let me show you the text and we'll, we'll make sense of this. So John chapter 8. In, uh, in your, in your, depending on what version of the Bible you have, you might have a parenthetical verse 53 before verse 1 of chapter 8. Reason for this is the chapters and the numbers in the Bible were not put there in the original text. Those were done after the fact by Bible translators, and they did that because when you're preaching, it'd be hard to say, uh, uh, just open your Bible to there, right? So it's really for teaching purposes so that we have a way of helping people find where we're talking about. That's all it is. So you might have the parenthetical, verse 53, that says, Then each one went to his house. Then verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you have a pen or a piece of a pencil, go ahead and circle that. Make note of that. We're going to come back to it because, believe it or not, that's the key verse. That's the, that's the umph behind this whole passage. As simple as that seems, that is where the real umph comes from. Okay? So verse 2 of chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 2. It says, at dawn, Jesus went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. So what we have here is Jesus, at dawn, going again to the temple, which means he was there the day before, but now he's there again, and what were the people doing? Jesus walked into the room, and the temperature of the room changed. There was a, there was a shift. There was a difference and Jesus was so life-giving that he attracted people to him. Listen, it is our nature to chase after people. I, w- I think that we should stop chasing after people and start attracting people. Because you know what I've discovered? When you chase after people, they just run farther or they run harder. Now, I know this through nature because as, a, as a, uh, an underwater fisherman, which means a spear fisherman, there's something that I had to learn early on. When I first started uh, spear fishing, which means we're hunting fish in the water, um, I would see a big fish, you know, a little bit away, and I would swim towards them. It'd be like, ha, 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 ha. And you know what the fish would do? The fish would not even blink. The fish would just be like, and just swim away. And it always seemed like he knew how far to be, just far enough to where I couldn't catch him. And then a friend of mine, a good friend, said, Jeff, listen, you're doing this all wrong. Number one, you'll never outswim a fish because you're not a fish. They will always outswim you. Number two, if you want to shoot the biggest fish, you got to ignore them. And by ignoring them, 
you're actually attracting them. It is totally counterintuitive, right? It doesn't make sense in our thinking, but it absolutely works. So I started going down, and I'd find the biggest fish on the wreck, and I would go away from him. Then when he would come over, I would swim the other direction. I would just keep swimming away, and then gradually I would turn my spear gun to the side, and I would just wait, pretending like I'm ignoring him. And you know what those big fish will do every single time? They will come up right in your face and say, do you see me? I mean, it's, it's just... Sorry, <laughs> that was a little rough, wasn't it? But that's what they do. They'll, they're so curious that, that, they're, that you're attracting them by ignoring them. Here, listen, that, that sounds like it makes no sense, but here's the deal. Jesus never chased anyone. Go back and look at it. There is not a person that Jesus said, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Let's just renegotiate. Let me just change my pitch. Let me just, let me just say it differently. What about the rich young ruler? What did Jesus do? If you want to follow me, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. And the Bible says that the the ruler walked away because he was very wealthy. And what did Jesus do? He watched him walk away. Now listen, it might be perceived that Jesus didn't care, but far from it. Jesus simply understood that instead of chasing people, He would simply be a a life giver and attract people. So the first thing we see here is this. Jesus, when he walked into the temple, there was something inside of him. There was a life inside of him that he just didn't bottle up, but it just exploded out of him. Every word he said, every conversation he had, every interaction he had, he was looking to give life away. And because of that, he never was without influence and he was never without a crowd. Now, to be fair, not everybody in the crowd listened to him because not everybody wanted to pick up what he was throwing down, right? Not everybody was interested in what he was saying because he also understood that a life giver gives two things always, every time, equally. He gives love and he gives truth. Always. He is never all love and no truth. And he is never all truth and no love. He is always combining the two of them together. Why? Because when you give one without the other, it is lopsided and you create an unhealthy conversation. You're not giving life to somebody if you only give half of it. But when you give both love and truth, or we could say grace and truth, if you give both of those at the same time consistently, people can trust you People can believe you, and people come back because even though you're telling truth, it's hard, they know you care about them because you're giving love. Does this make sense? Now, here's the deal. You and I can apply this in every relationship of our life. I think Jesus did. In fact, this passage to me gives the perfect picture of this because the very next verse says, then, verse three, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who were supposed to be teaching the scripture to the people. And as they were teaching the scripture to the people, the goal, listen, the goal of teaching the scripture should always be transformation, not inspiration. 
When we read the scripture, it should always be for transformation, not for inspiration. Because being inspired only lasts until you're uninspired. Think about it. If you go to a message that's so exciting, but you leave a, yeah, and you walk out and there's no internal transformation, you're not going to remember what was said except for maybe one or two of the cool stories. But if you're in, in, in a message and it, and it begins to get you in the center of who you are and it begins to turn you just a little bit to where you're looking more like Jesus, when you leave, it follows you and there's now something that's going on inside of you. That's transformation. The goal of preaching, the goal of teaching, the goal of listening should always be transformations. Feeling doesn't last. Transformation, it does. And so Jesus has these scribes and Pharisees in front of him. They bring this woman who the Bible says is caught in the act of adultery. So what do we know here? We know she was guilty. We know that that, that she is, is guilty of violating the law that the Pharisees are about to bring up. We also know, based on the text, that the Pharisees did not care at, about this woman at all. She was being used by them to make a point. And really what they were doing, they were speaking truth, and they had no love at all. I mean, the, the righteous indignation inside of me that rises up just listening to this is hard. And, and I don't know about you, but it is hard for me to see somebody treated like this and for me not to want to just jump up and, and, and take the whoever's doing it into the back room, right? I mean, I sound like a tough guy, like I like a do. But I mean, really, inside of me, in my head, I'm beating them up, right? In my head, I am destroying these Pharisees and these scribes. Why? Because it's obvious they don't care about this woman. This is a woman who is made in the image of God. This is someone who's got some broken things inside of her life. And she's being used as a pawn simply to make a point against Jesus. It's like she is just a piece of meat thrown out in front of the dogs. Essentially is what's going on. And I have to wonder, what is, what is this woman's response to? Because the Bible says she had to stand in front of Jesus, which also meant that she was in front of the rest of the crowd that was there listening to Jesus. And then you had the scribes there. Oh, and by the way, the scribes came with stones in their hand. And you don't stone somebody with a little pebble. You stone somebody with a chunk of, of hard rock. I mean, it's got to be big enough to hurt them, right? So all of these scribes and Pharisees, as they were walking this woman to be in front of Jesus, would have grabbed a good stone. And so they were there armed, ready to inflict death upon this woman because they knew they were right, and they were. They knew that they had Jesus on the ropes. The only right answer, unless he wasn't really a teacher, the only right answer was, yes, the law says that this woman must be stoned. I wonder what this woman was thinking, though. I think she was one of two ways. She was either... She was either um, obstinate and defiant because you know sometimes even though you're guilty you're just defiant because you're it's really a way of self-preservation you're going you know what i'm not going to let you get the and, and you know cussing that could have been one way i think she was though the opposite i think she was humiliated i mean just in my mind as i'm thinking through this i'm thinking that as she's standing there she is there just absolutely humiliated with shame and disgrace 
Because this isn't a woman probably in, the, in this, I mean, in this culture, you're not going to be, you're not going to be flaunting this, right? This is going to be backdoor, back alley stuff. And so she is outed in front of this group. She probably is full of shame and full of guilt. And also knowing that she's breathing her last breaths if this teacher really is a teacher sent from God. Because she knew what the law says. It wasn't a surprise to her. She knew that they were right. And do you like the way they say it? It says she was caught. Like she was caught red-handed. Like, like there was no denying. There was no excuse here. Standing there in front of Jesus. What did Jesus do in response? I will say to you that he was giving life to both the scribes and the Pharisees and this woman. How was he doing it? Because Jesus... According to the story, the Bible says that, well, let, let me say, verse 4, the teacher, the, the scribe said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So there it is. They didn't care about her at all. She was just being used to prove a point, and her humiliation was of no concern to them. The Bible says that Jesus stooped down. Now, this is the account we have. Now, I think that there was a little bit of a pause. I think they brought this woman, stood her humiliated in front of him, rocks in their hands. And then the ones who were leading the group said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says she's to be taken out and stoned. What do you say? I think Jesus would have paused. And I think, again, this is not what the Bible says. This is my, by the way, some people don't think that you're allowed to do this in preaching. I think that's crazy. I think there's a story here for a reason. You're supposed to actually go and say, okay, what's really going on here? You just got to make sure you know what God says and then what your imagination says. That you just, if you're clear on that, you're good. I think Jesus looked at them. And I think he was eye to eye with each of them. And I think because he wanted them to know that he knew. And then without saying a word, he stooped down and he begins to Operate the first etch-a-sketch. Drawn in the sand, right? That's what it is. He started drawing in the sand. What was he drawing? I mean, in my mind, all kinds of things. He was, he was writing out Bible verses. Maybe he was drawing stick figures and putting their names on top. Maybe he was... He was... Uh, Drawing circumstances in their lives that they would go, oh, he, 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 know, he knows, he knows. But the Bible records that they continued, they persisted to question him. And so he stopped drawing, he stood up, and he said to them, the one without sin, you get to cast the first stone. Then he knelt back down and started drawing again masterfully, one by one, the Bible says, each of the men dropped their stones, starting with the older to the younger, and they walked away. 
Now, there's a lesson in here that we need to not miss here, okay? This is very practical, but Jesus was the master at connecting with people. See, we want to say more words, and Jesus said less words and had more effect. You are more effective with fewer words than you are with many words in conversation. Amen? Do you know people who, when you talk to them, it's not a conversation, it's a monologue, and it's one way from their way to yours? That's not a person you want to be with, is it? Those are the people you avoid at the grocery store. Why? Because if you're talking, you're not listening. If you're talking, you're not caring about anybody, really, but yourself. And it's real, again, it's very subversive because you might be talking things to help them, but what you're really trying to do is say, hey, I can fix your problem. I know the answer. Just do this, do this, do this, and all is good. What Jesus did masterfully is he talked way less and he listened way more and he was able to ask just the right questions at just the right time to be able to give life to the person he was with. Think about all the times that he did that with the disciples. One particular way, the disciples said, hey, people are saying this, 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 this. Jesus said, who do they say that I am? Okay, well, who do you say that I am? Peter, this has not been revealed to you by yourself. God has revealed. Such a short conversation. Jesus said less, but in that conversation, it was a life shift for Peter, wasn't it? So a skill that you and I have to learn is how to say less, and in doing so, say more. One of the ways that we can do this, by the way, is by asking really good questions. See, this is where the practical part of this comes in. Most of the times, we don't ask good questions. We ask yes or no questions, or we ask surface-level questions, or we're not asking the right questions. Now, this takes work. This takes effort. This means that you're constantly thinking, what question do I need to ask to draw out of them the thing that they need to be able to say so that I can give them life. And again, we don't have time today. We've got a few minutes. So we can't go through all the biblical texts that demonstrate this. But if you'll go back and read the scripture through this lens, you will see it everywhere in Jesus' conversations. He was constantly doing this. I had a conversation this past week with somebody. I didn't intend to go to their office, but I just... I was finishing lunch with a friend, and um, I just had this thought, hey, I need to go visit my friend. So I drove over. It was close by, and I went in, and we talked for just a few moments. And, and through that introductory part of the conversation, I asked one simple question. It was a pointed question, but it was a, a safe question, and that question unlocked an hour of conversation that when we left there was obviously a transfer of life and hope to that person. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what we get to do every day in every single relationship we have. That's our gift to people. What are we doing? We're liberating people. We are setting them free from all kinds of things in their life. You say, well, who am I to set people free? Actually, Jesus said... Of himself, I'm the light of the world. And then he turned it around and he said, You are the light of the world. What does light do? Light dispels darkness. 
Most people are walking around in darkness. They're walking around with confusion. They're walking around with chaos. If you know Jesus, and if Jesus is living inside of you, if you're experiencing this kind of life, then every person you talk to, you can shed shed light on some of their darkness. Listen, don't mistake it. It's not you doing it. It is God doing it through you, but that's what he delights in doing. That's why you exist. You exist to tell people the hope of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. How do you do that? One little shift in your brain. Everywhere I go, I'm going to be a life giver to everybody I meet. But Jesus wasn't just a life giver to the people who deserved it. He was a life giver even to the people who didn't deserve it. To the Pharisees... If he would have responded like I would want to have have responded, he would have blessed them with not nice words in front of everybody. You got to know that Jesus could have destroyed them in front of this crowd, right? I mean, he was good enough as a talker. He could have absolutely destroyed them. He could have called out their sin. Oh, you want to condemn this woman? What about the woman you were with who's not your wife? I mean, he could have done that. And he would have been justified in doing it, but he didn't. Why? Because he wasn't interested in calling them out. He was interested in calling them up. He didn't want to condemn them. He wanted to give them life. Even to the Pharisees and the scribes. Here's the the challenge for me. My challenge is giving life to people who I don't think deserve it. But here's the bigger question. Who gives me the right to decide who deserves it and who doesn't? Right? Right? And here's the bigger challenge. Sometimes I'm saying things that I don't even do myself. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to do it. Because you know what? The more you start being a life giver, the more God starts to remind you that that is what you're supposed to pursue in your own life as well. Why? Because you can't give what you don't possess yourself. You want to know why I I think people don't share the gospel? Because they don't really love other people. They don't possess a genuine love for other people. That's my opinion. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. But I think we're so consumed with thinking about ourselves that we're not thinking about other people. It's not even crossing our mind. But you know what? If we shift our thinking not from ourselves but from other people, everything you need, God will supply When you start focusing on blessing other people, on on giving life to other people, all of those parts in your life that you are in need of and searching for, God will give them to you. He will supply life givers to you. Why? It's the parable of the talents. You're doing good with five talents. I'm going to give you five more because I can trust you with what I've given you. Right? All right, so here's the deal. He stooped down, started drawing. They were questioning. He stood up. He said, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. He knelt down again. He started drawing some more. And then one by one, you heard this sound. That's the sound of the stones being dropped into the sand. And then before long, no more sound. And then Jesus, with With such incredible compassion, he stood up 
I think he, he lifted her eyes. Hey, woman, where are they? She said, there's no one here. There's no one here to condemn you? No, sir. There's no one here to condemn you. But she was wrong. There was someone there who was able to condemn her. What he said was, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. That's Jesus. Jesus had every right to stone her. He was legitimately justified to cast the first stone because he was without sin. And yet, this is the big aha in this story. Woman, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. In other words, go and don't do this adultery stuff anymore. What was he doing? He was giving truth and love. Here's, here's the thing that, that's, that's hard to get around sometimes for very religious people. Total, Jesus just totally blew by the law. Because the law said that if you commit adultery, you're supposed to be stoned. So the law was right. But here's the truth. The Bible tells us that the law brings death. But the Spirit brings life. Your goal is not to condemn someone. Your goal is to help the condemned find redemption. That's your job. That's my job. Our job is to give grace while, <coughs> while speaking the truth so that the grace and the truth together can bring a redeemed, transformed life. Now, this is a real tension in today's culture because the super, the super spiritual want to just tell the truth. Truth, truth, truth. And the way they get around that is, I'm a prophet. Okay. But Jesus didn't do it that way. So I don't care what kind of prophet you think you are, you cannot give truth only and not grace. Because Jesus didn't say, be a prophet. He said, follow me, right? I think we use our spiritual gifts as an excuse sometimes. That's just, that's what God, no, 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 no. You're just trying to take that and twist it. Here's the deal. Truth Adultery, sin. The law says you're to be stoned. You know, what, you know what's written in this text that we're not seeing? There is a repentance part on her, her, her part. That, that's, that's underneath here. It's not specifically written there, but it's understood because we interpret Scripture with the whole of Scripture, right? There is a repentance. Go and sin no more is part of that repentance. Go and sin no more is, you know what, I recognize that what I'm doing is wrong. I need to change my ways. That's an acknowledgement that God's truth is truth. So it's not like we're just going, oh, the law doesn't mean anything. But it's this extension of God's grace saying, look, here's the truth, but there's a better way. There's another way. You could say it this way. It is 
Jesus was always calling people up to the highest possible good in their life. What is the highest possible good in their life? That they are yielded to the gospel in every area and corner of their life. That's the highest good. And so, when he said, neither do I condemn you, go from now on and do not sin anymore, she was walking away transformed. Now, we don't know the rest of the story, but you got to believe that that kind of an encounter with Jesus was transformational in every possible way. And so, so what kind of person are you? Are you a life sucker? When you walk into the room, does it, does it make people wince? Do they try to hide from you because it's always about you? Or because it's whatever? Or do they, do they when you walk into the room, they're like, yeah, it's not bad. I, I, I can deal with this. This is good. It was pleasant. It was ex- Listen, there's nothing wrong with that except that that's a... Except that you didn't impact their life. You didn't really, you really do anything. You just gave them a pleasant moment and that's it. Listen, if I'm going to breathe air, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to occupy space on this planet, I want it to mean something. Don't you? Everyone I talk to, I want to, I, again, I don't always succeed in this. I am really still learning this. But my heart and my intention, every time I talk to you, I want to ask the right questions and I want to say the right words to spur you on to something holy, to spur you on to hope, to spur you on to peace, to spur you on to knowing Jesus just a little bit more. And in doing that, I want you to become that kind of person for others. Now, if you will be an attractional person, it's kind of funny. We use, we use these words, and, and we get all bent out of shape over sometimes words. Kind of crazy, really. We, we, we miss the forest because the trees are in the way, right? If you'll become an attractional person, which simply means... You're not only pleasant to be around, but people want to be around you because you're, you're give, they, their life is better for being around you. If you'll be that kind of a person, you don't have to invent ways to change people's lives. You just have to be. But here's the key. Remember verse 53, 753 and 8 verse 1? Here's the key. How are you able to give life to everybody you are around? Whether it's at Walmart or the cashier, whether it's at the Circle K getting a, a, a drink, or whether it's at uh, the Waveland playing in the water, whatever. How are you able to do that? Well, Jesus gives us the illustration. The Bible says in verse 53 that they all went away to their homes. Verse 1 says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was Jesus' secret. Because you can't possess, or you can't give what you don't possess. You can't give a life that you don't have. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you better be going that direction. <laughs> Could you imagine a guy selling, um, uh, selling shoes and he's barefoot? Could you imagine a, a, 
a health coast that weighs 500 pounds? Could you imagine a, a life coach whose life is disastrous? You know, whatever. I mean, you, I mean, could you imagine a pool guy whose pool was green, right? I mean, if you, that's actually probably, you know, the cobbler's son has no shoes, right? <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've seen your pool. It's usually pretty good. <laughs> I mean, but think about it. If, if people are looking at your life going, man, I do not want what you're selling. Then you have just shot yourself in the foot. But you know, if your life reflects a resemblance of what you're, what you're giving away, people will want it. The only way you have that is by going to the Mount of Olives. Jesus went to the mountainside to pray, and there he was letting God fill him. We call that being filled with the Spirit. Now, what is filled with the Spirit? Filled with the Spirit means the Spirit of God is leading and directing you for every decision that you have in in your day. It literally is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing. So you are walking by faith, asking God to lead your every step. It's not easy to do, but the more you do it, the easier it is. And as you do that, God gives you the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And the fruit of the Spirit oozes out of you and other people say there's something different about that man. I want to hear what he has to say. Something about different about that woman. I want to hear what she has to say. Be a life giver. Amen? One more time. What kind of person are you? If you're this kind of person or this kind of person, I want you to right now think, no more. I am pursuing a, being a life-giving person. It will change your life. Amen? This morning, I want to invite you to the one who can give life, Jesus. The Bible says that God loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. See, there's that giving again. That whoever would believe in him, whoever, would not perish, that's death, but would have everlasting, what? Life. That's God's plan. So this morning, the way you find this life in Jesus is by the same way the woman did. Jesus says to her, here's the truth, go and sin no more. I'm offering you grace. She would have had to say, you know what, I repent. You're right, I'm wrong. I'm lost, I'm broken. I'm going to trust in what you say. That's what it means to be born again. Will you believe Jesus? And will you let him transform you? Take a moment, if you will, just close your eyes and bow your head. Right where you are, if God has um, spoken to you about, about what kind of person you are, and you're not the kind of person that, that you want to be, but you're willing to go that direction, I just want you to say a simple prayer. God, help me be a life giver. And God, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to let you have access to every corner of my heart. And whatever part of me doesn't look like you, and whatever part of me keeps me from offering life, God, I, I'm going to ask you to take it away. God, take my, my lips, take my hands, Take my heart, take my feet. God, you have access to everything. I'm asking you just to make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. 
this morning, if you've not ever trusted Jesus, nothing you've done in the past will keep you from His grace if you'll simply call out to Him. Nothing. So simply say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. So God, I'm asking you to save me. This morning, let transformation happen in your heart. God, I pray that you would, you would speak to us today. I pray that you would help us. God, thank you for your kindness to us. And I pray that in these next few moments as we uh, close this, this time together, I pray that you would, would solidify in our hearts what it is you're saying to us in Jesus' name.